3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past, present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR, 8.55am. Um, it's Sonia here in the studio this morning, and that's it just about. Michaela is helping me on the panel today, but I'm afraid it's me all the way through till 8.30 this morning. Um, we're going to have, however, a lot of other people speaking with us today, I'm glad to say. First off, we're going to be talking to um, people from the Free Palestine Geelong group who are holding a rally with healthcare workers this Saturday. We're going to find out why and talk a little bit about the situation in Palestine and also what the Australian government is doing to help the Palestinian people or not. Um, after that, we're going to be talking to Louise Morris, running a pre-record um, with the Australian Marine Conservation Society um, manager, Louise Morris, who spoke with Annie McLaughlin from Solidarity Breakfast this Saturday. They're going to be talking about sizing bl- seismic blasting in the Otway Basin. After that, we're going to have um, a segment about deaths in custody, and in particular focusing on the death in custody of TJ Hickey. Um, That segment's going to have graphic descriptions of the death in custody of an Aboriginal man, so a heads up, and we'll be giving another heads up um, just before that segment. Lastly, we're going to be joined in the studio today by Kieran Stewart-Asherton, the National President of the Black People's Union, to talk to us about Camp Sovereignty, which is being relaunched um, this week. Um, We'll be making that a regular feature on breakfast shows here on 3CR. So come and tune in at 8 o'clock every day, Monday to Saturday, to find out what's going on in Camp Sovereignty. And now we're going to go to the headlines. Towns and cities in Myanmar were at a standstill on February the 1st to mark the third year anniversary of the military coup. Many took part in a silent strike to show resistance to the military junta, who have displaced more than 2.6 million people since 2021. The public's response to the coup has been powerful, and many people have since created civilian defence squads to fight back against the military's brutal oppression. Richard Horsey, the senior Myanmar advisor to the International Crisis Group, said, The military's hold on power is more uncertain than any time in the last 60 years. However, he said the military still retains an enormous capacity for violence, attacking civilian populations and infrastructure using air power and long-range artillery. Nan Lin, a pro-democracy activist in hiding in Myanmar, said, The Myanmar people don't accept the military's participation in politics or their human rights violations. Lin and others are demanding the complete surrender of the military. The Hunter head, Min Aung Klang, has denied abuses against civilians and maintains that its operations were designed to bring down terrorists, supposedly in the interest of Myanmar. 
Australian writer Yang Hengjun has been sentenced to death on China in China on spy charges. Yang was arrested in 2019 on espionage charges that he and Australia deny. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong has told reporters that the Australian government is appalled by this outcome. Yang, a Chinese-born Australian blogger and pro-democracy activist, was arrested in January 2019 as he arrived at Guangzhou Airport with his wife. He was then accused of having endangered national security with particularly serious harm to the country and the people. Yang has denied the charges made against him, as well as his family and friends, who have also denied the charges. On Monday, reporters responded to Yang's sentence. He is being punished by the Chinese government for his criticism of human rights abuses in China and his advocacy for universal values. 135 cases of Israeli crimes against journalists were recorded in January. At least that many crimes were committed by Israeli forces against Palestinian journalists, including the killing of 12 media members in January. According to the Freedom Committee at the Palestinian Journalist Syndicate, eight journalists were killed by direct missile and small arms attacks on their homes in the Gaza Strip, and four others died while on the job. In the occupied West Bank, the syndicate reported 50 cases of attacks against journalists, including physical assault, detaining press crews, preventing them from doing their job, and targeting them with live fire. Since the beginning of Israel's war on Gaza, at least 116 journalists and media workers have been killed in the besieged territory. At least 35 journalists remain in Israeli prisons under harsh conditions. The Al Amal hospital has run out of fuel, oxygen and medical supplies. A spokesman for the Palestinian Red Crescent in the Gaza Strip told Al Jazeera that all of these have been exhausted at the Al Amal hospital in Khan Yunus after Israeli occupation forces besieged it for two weeks. Mohammed Abu Mosbah said that about 8,000 displaced people were evacuated from the hospital and the PRCS, the Red Crescent um, headquarters. Only 40 elderly displaced persons remained, in addition to about 80 sick and wounded and 100 administrative and medical staff, he said. Last Friday, PRCS said Israeli forces had killed 43 people, including three of its employees, since the start of the siege of its headquarters. And that's the headlines for this morning. We're now going to go to a song called Lev Palestina by Kofia Band. It's a Swedish socialist song about the liberation of Palestine. Live Palestina, Oh, 
It's like we're going through life with one eye shut and one eye open, and we're only getting half the picture. And then somebody like me comes in and says, well, let's make sure we see the full picture. Finding the Money, an exciting new documentary, takes us inside the debate between economists who say we can afford to deal with inequality and the climate crisis, and the economists who say we can't afford it. An unconventional economic theory is gaining some traction. Modern Monetary Theory, MMT. And one of its leading proponents is Professor Stephanie Kelton. Finding the Money, coming to Melbourne for limited screenings in March 2024. Finding the Money, on tour with renowned economist Stephanie Kelton and independent filmmaker Maren Poitras. Tickets on sale now via modernmoneylab.org.au. The true story of money is not the story that I've been told. Finding the Money, a pivotal documentary for our time, a 3CR supporter. And before those announcements, we had the song Liva Palestina by Kofia Band, which was a Swedish socialist song about the liberation of Palestine. This Saturday, healthcare workers from across Victoria are rallying in Geelong to protest and demand an end to the genocide in Gaza. We have on the line Noor Al-Asafi, a social worker in mental health, and Jackie Kriz, a delegate for the Australian Nurses and Midwives Association and on the Geelong Trades Hall executive, as well as working as a mental health nurse. They're both on the line with us to discuss the action. Welcome. Thank you. Um, can you tell us why healthcare workers in Geelong are coming out for Palestine this weekend? Um, yeah, so um, healthcare workers across Geelong have been called to attend this rally in solidarity with our heroes and scrubs in Palestine who are working in absolutely dire conditions um, and still having to show up despite grieving their own losses, despite um, being exhausted and working essentially non-stop trying to save as many lives as possible. Um, it, we're really just want to show up in solidarity with them and show support and also 
spread the message of what's going on in Palestine across all communities, um, including healthcare workers. Thanks, Noor. And what are the demands of the organisers? Uh, the demands are for an immediate ceasefire now. Um, this has gone on for far too long, and I think that it's a real shame that there still hasn't been a permanent ceasefire called. Yeah. Is that the only demand that you've got? Um, we have a media release that has the details, but that is the main one. Okay. And why is that important? I mean, it's fairly obvious to most of our listeners, but let's just go over it again. Sure. Um, well, obviously, this didn't start on October 7th. This has been going on for much, much longer. And um, a lot of communities have been calling for a ceasefire for many, many years. But due to the escalations, we think that you know, we've reached a breaking point and mm-hmm. it is important that we, we do see peace in Palestine and we do see more advocacy for the communities who are suffering there. So, no, would you like to tell us a bit about how the healthcare system is being affected by the Israeli bombing? I mean, we had just now in the headline the, um, that Al-Amal Hospital has had to be evacuated, 8,000 people um, because they've run out of fuel, oxygen, and all mm. medical supplies. Um, mm-hmm. Would you like to expand upon that and what the overall impact on the healthcare system is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, before October 7 last year, healthcare systems in Gaza were already incredibly under-resourced um, due to the Israeli occupation. Uh, there were only 35 hospitals operating at full capacity and a total of just over 3,000 beds, catering to a population exceeding 2 million people in an active war zone. Um, So you could imagine that the supply and demand would be um, just absolutely unrealistic. Mm. Uh, We've we've had mothers having emergency C-sections without anesthetic and going into premature labor due to distress. Children have been having their limbs amputated on dirty hospital floors without anesthetic or sterile surgical equipment. And... Yeah, sorry, you go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I saw an absolutely heart-wrenching video of a father who was a doctor having to amputate the limb of his own mm. child, which was just mm-hmm. devastating. Absolutely. And this is, you know, what we're seeing is just a small portion of people who have access to mobile phones and have mm. Easton's who can post this on the internet. It's actually happening on a much, much larger scale that we're not seeing. Um, and Jackie, what are your thoughts on Australia's involvement? Um, Look, I think Australia is very hypocritical. Our government is very complicit in the war, even though I think they try and play it down and they pretend they're not. Um, So things like Pine Gap is used for surveillance, um, uh, which is the US base outside Alice Springs, Mm -hmm. and they're providing um, equipment to spy on Palestine and so that they can uh, bomb the exact targets in Gaza. Um, so that's a real worry. But it's a real worry about the amount of military support we're actually supplying to to Israel. But, and there's no there's no transparency in Australian weapon export industry. But what we do know is that um, the 70 engineering factories um, that are supplying um, weapons and the supply chain to um, these weapons, uh, F-35, which are high-tech planes that are used to bomb um, 
Gaza. Mm-hmm. And it's a real, it's, a, it's actually really terrible. What else they're doing is, and, and in Geelong, there's a engineering company uh, that is also involved in supplying um, parts of these um, weapons and uh, military arsenals. And they are linked with Deakin University. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're kind of complicit in many ways. And we're also part of the big military uh, American complex, which we have done through our um, joining of AUKUS. Mm-hmm. So we're very much complicit in the bombing of Gaza in many ways through spying on them through Pine Gap and through increasing our military support, even though it's very um, hidden and it's not transparent at all. And did you say there were 70 engineering companies um, and, well, there's 70 companies that we know of um, that are supplying uh, parts to these um, planes that are used to bomb Gaza. Um, yes. Um, and you didn't even touch upon the um, support that's been given to the bombardment of the Houthis in Yemen. Uh, no, no. Um, sorry, I don't know a lot about that, but I know that the war... This war is actually really quite um, is spreading, um, and the Houthis are, um, you know, they don't have a lot of weaponry, but it seems to me that there's billions and billions of dollars of American, um, you know, funds that go into the military complex, and they are supplying weapons to Israel, and um, so I think the Houthis, like, they don't have a lot of weaponry, but they've mm. made their mark. And so they're defending, um, things like that. But um, so in, but, but the war is spreading. So so far it's in Yemen, um, Syria's got involved, Iran. So it's kind of a hot spot. Yeah. And I think, like, Australians should be worried um, mm-hmm. because we are very much integrated into that military complex of the USA and um, we are complicit in um, the Palestinian situation. Now, Jackie mentioned the um, high-tech bombardment and the planes being used. No, could you talk a little bit about how the trauma of this aerial bombardment must be affecting people, particularly young people, in Palestine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's probably safe to say that people of all ages in Gaza have experienced some level of extreme war trauma, but if we focus on the children... Um, since they make up half of the population in in Gaza, there have been reports of children developing serious trauma symptoms, um, such as convulsions and bedwetting, fear, nervousness, um, not leaving their parents' guides. Um, a, a study showed that 91% of children in Gaza have severe PTSD, and that study was conducted three years ago in 2021. Wow. So I think it's um, reasonable to say that 100% of not just children, but the entire population will be experiencing symptoms of PTSD. Um, and when we were talking on the phone earlier, you said that PTSD is perhaps not the right phrase to be using in this circumstance. Yes. Um, so there, there was a, a study that came out a while ago where um, psychologists tried to treat children in Palestine who had post-traumatic stress disorder and found that they actually couldn't really treat them. No interventions were working because there is no post-trauma. It is ongoing. 
um, so what what is happening? What support is being given um, to children and refugees from Gaza um, to deal with this mental health crisis at the moment? Well, at the moment, we're focusing on getting as many people out of Gaza as possible. Um, there have been refugees who have been granted visas to Australia in particular. And um, whilst I'm not in touch with anyone coming to Geelong exactly, um, we we hope that school and their communities will help link them in with um, services who will provide them with some sort of um, therapeutic intervention. Um, now, what are you um, hoping for coming out of the action this weekend? Well, I'm hoping for more healthcare workers to be more politically involved, um, to to realise the, the the severity of this genocide that is happening. Um, I know that myself, as a healthcare worker, the values I hold, such as like harm reduction and um, duty of care, wanting better outcomes for our patients. Um, this genocide has been devastating to me because I know in my core the impact this is going to have long-term on these people. And I know that healthcare workers all over Australia would know those as well. We see it every day with the patients we work with, what happens when, you know, they don't receive treatment, the treatment that they need, um, the care that they need. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, the heart of healthcare is, is empathy and um we're hoping to really strike a chord with healthcare workers in that sense. Jackie, what about you? What are your hopes for this weekend? Yes, thanks, Sonia. Um, well, I think that um, some of the demands that we're asking for really the Labor to publicly support South Africa's genocide um, case against um, at the International Court of Justice. I think that's important. Um, we need to push on that because. South Africans are um, young or well about, very well about apartheid because they've um, been there. Yeah. So they understand what um, genocide means. And so, really, that is an important demand that we want. Um, like Nord says, we want more um, involvement with healthcare workers, so we want to spread the word. Um, and this is part of the rallies, too. And we're having a speak out as well on um, tomorrow at um, uh, 12 o'clock outside the hospital to, um, uh, you know, to get this, to get healthcare workers to understand that this is a problem that will impact on us and is impacting on us and we need to show solidarity for our healthcare workers in Palestine, in Gaza. And um, we do need an immediate and unconditional permanent ceasefire. Um, the way that... Uh, Penny Wong is called for a ceasefire. It's not a ceasefire. You know, to have a sustainable ceasefire or a temporary pause is not actually a ceasefire. And um, we really do. We want to advertise the fact that uh, that our government is supporting weapons or components of weapons and we want to stop that as well. Um, so can I just return, you were saying about publicly supporting the South African case at the ICJ. Now that's already been heard. What would the impact be of the Australian government publicly supporting that at this stage? Well, sorry, what was that, Sonia? To... Because the ICJ has already made its ruling. and yes. that. So it, what's the um, purpose of supporting it now? Uh, we should have got on the bandwagon before the 
um, case was even brought to the court and co-sponsored it, obviously. But what would be the impact of supporting it now? I think that that would be um, a change of heart for um, Australians in general. And mm-hmm. I think, if nothing else, it's, it's a moral duty. Sure. Yeah, it may not have much impact, but because they've already, went, well, we already see our government as being hypocritical, and um, but they need to do a lot more to change everyone's opinion of them because I think underneath it all, they're probably scared um, because they may not get voted in. This is a big issue, and um, I think that if um, people are waking up to them. And people realise that they're very complicit, so at least that would be a start. But I don't think they will roll back, no. Now, where can listeners find out more about the action on Saturday? Um, We've got a Facebook page called Free Palestine Geelong, as well as an Instagram page called Free Palestine Geelong. Um, And for anyone listening, the rally is at um, 12pm, February 10th, um, at Little Mount Street here in Geelong. Great. Um, is there any last thing that you'd like to add, either of you? We well, we just hope we see as many people show up as possible, not just healthcare workers, but anyone who's in support of a free Palestine. Great. Thank you both very much. Thanks to Noor from Free Palestine Geelong and to Jackie, a Socialist Alliance healthcare nurse. Um, you can also find out more information at apan.org.au, that's A-P-A-N, and look at the events page where it's listed. You're listening to 3CR 855 on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or available through the Community Radio Podcast app.
خبرهن علي صاير بلك بيوعد ضمير يا صوت دلك طاير زوجها الضماير خبرهن علي صاير بلك بيوعد ضمير خبرهن Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse, dynamic and radical radio station. Nominations are due by Wednesday the 14th of February at 5pm. For more information, contact the 3CR station manager on 03-9419-8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash people. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged 3 and 4 can access 15 hours per week of free kinder. Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families and are led by qualified teachers. Enroll for 2024. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Koori Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. And the beautiful song that you heard before those announcements was El Kut El Atiki, El Tika. I apologise for my pronunciation. By Fairuz. And the song is Jerusalem in My Heart. That was released in 1971, a few years after the Arab armies had suffered a crushing defeat to Israel in 1967 and Israel occupied Jerusalem and the West Bank. Fairuz is describing a scene of seeing old Jerusalem, then envisioning what it must have been like before the Israelis came and took over many of the neighbourhoods and uprooted many of the families. Louise Morris, the Australian Marine Conservation Society oil and gas campaign manager, spoke with Annie McLaughlin of Solidarity Breakfast um, last week about the transnational geotechnical company CGG's lodgement of plans to conduct seismic blasting in the Otway Basin, which is just kilometres off the coast of the Great Ocean Road, and in the carving grounds of the endangered southern right whale. We're going to hear an excerpt from that interview now. The Australian Marine Conservation Society is Australia's foremost ocean conservation organisation. So we've been around for almost 60 years now. So um, we actually cut our teeth and started with a bunch of scientists trying to stop oil drilling on what is now the Great Barrier Reef uh, Marine Park. Back in those days, it wasn't a marine park and they were working up there and realised it was a bunch of plans to pump oil drills into the Great Barrier Reef, got together, started a campaign and then ended up with an organisation. So we're still active on the marine, well, the Great Barrier Reef, obviously, Ningaloo, um, oil and gas as well, and numerous other threatened species issues. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for why we're talking today is because of uh, the um, push by uh, CGG, the Transnational Geotechnical Company, uh, to get a, a permit to be able to uh, do seismic blasting in the Otway Basin, just kilometres off the coast of the Great Ocean Road. Yeah, so CGG for, God, over a year now has been running around various communities across Victoria talking about this seismic blasting proposal they've got, which would impact, if permitted, would impact Southern Right Whale carving grounds off Warrnambool, 
blue whale feeding grounds, numerous other areas. So on Australia Day, January 26th, you know, let's throw in some extra controversy for that day, they launched their public comment period. (gasps) So from that date, we've got 30 days to make public comment about this environment plan they've put out, which is a massive document and actually really hard to navigate. We've been um, pulling our brains out for the past week, creating a submission guide for public and communities to help them navigate what are the environmental impacts, what are the impacts to marine life, what are the impacts to community, and just what are the unknown risks, because these documents are so vague, and basically these documents allow the company to decide what's an acceptable or an unacceptable risk based on how much money they'd have to spend avoiding it. Oh, my God. we've got until, until February 23 to get those in. So um, next week we'll have that submission guide up online at the Australian Marine Conservation Society website. So if you just Google marineconservation.org.au next week, you'll find it. Um, Or also just follow us on social media and we'll obviously be putting that out as soon as it's ready to roll. We're just fact-checking a few things. So this is one of three proposals in the Otway Basin. So it's, you know, not one, not two, but three So we've got two seismic blasting proposals, including the one that's now a public comment phase, and a test drilling for gas proposal, which has two areas, one of which also overlaps this area that's CGG, and wanting to do seismic blasting. So the Otways Basin, which is this gorgeous stretch of water between Victoria and Tasmania, with Commonwealth marine parks, which are being proposed for seismic blasting and drilling, blue whale habitats, you know, you've got more threatened species you can really point a stick at, has suddenly, after quite a few years of not a lot of exploration, just exploded. And we now have the largest seismic blasting proposal on record globally before the regulator for approval. So this is 45,000 square kilometres of seismic blasting being proposed by this massive joint collaboration between Schlumberger, who recently rebadged themselves SLB because they've had some bad press, and a mob called TGS. Then we've got the Conoco Phillips one I was just mentioning, test drilling for gas across Tasmanian and Victorian areas, including in marine parks. And then this one that we've got public comments. It's going to be a crazy busy year on this um, area of water. And I think the song that we came into, Intrud is Beautiful, of we've just had multiple community demonstrations which we were part of down on the west and surf coast of Victoria, really showing a summer of love for our oceans of thousands of people turning out just saying no to these offshore oil and gas projects on our waters and really talking to the need to protect our oceans. We know there's marine heat waves coming, we've got biodiversity issues and you know, let's talk about the reality of gas and climate change. It is more greenhouse intensive than carbon dioxide in the short term that methane gets released. So, so many things to do and it's going to be a damn busy year leading up to a federal election as well on this one. It's just extraordinary, Louise. The... um, Let's go to some of the nitty-gritty. I mean, what they're doing is... uh, uh, blasting everybody with details when in actual fact they have no scientific uh, backing for what they're after. But they're also using this cowboy permit system uh, that as long as they can rustle up $8,250, you, you can go for a special prospecting uh, uh, authority licence. Yeah, these special prospecting authority permits are just crazy. So... 
these two seismic proposals we have in the Otway Basin are both trying to use what we'll just call SPAs because it's a lot of words to jumble into a sentence. But these SPA permits are only used for seismic blasting. They exist out of all these normal processes where, you know, our oceans are basically handed over to oil and gas projects. And the real clunker with this one is for an SPA project, you've mentioned how ridiculously cheap they are. It's cheaper than a used car and they last for 180 days. A company applying for them does not have to pass what is known as the fit and proper person test. So what that means is a company doesn't have to prove they've got the financial ability to do the project, the technical ability to do the project, and if they've got any ongoing investigations into previous breaches, it doesn't matter. And that is important because that mob I mentioned, TGS, SLB, who are planning that 45,000 square kilometre seismic blasting proposal with a special prospecting authority permit, are currently under investigation for breaches in previous seismic blasting in the same area of water because they impacted blue whales. So it's it's a cowboy permit for cowboy operators and we're asking, we'll say it nicely, we are asking, we're imploring the federal government to abolish these cowboy permits. They are dangerous, they are reckless and they are designed for the most egregious forms of seismic blasting to happen just off the radar. So we've got an action which, if anyone came to the many, many public events that were held over the western surf coast over January, to Minister King to abolish SPAs and to stop these projects going ahead which are applying for them. It's fascinating because uh, they've just announced that the Federal uh, Environment Minister has kiboshed uh, the wind farm uh, element of uh, the land for uh, element of a wind farm uh, uh, on Western Port Bay because of a threat to uh, wetlands. Do you think it's uh, because this is under the water in the sea that people have this idea that uh, environmental destruction isn't actually happening or something? I think there's a definite element of out of sight, out of mind when we're talking, you know, it's the big blue because it it's kilometres off the shore. You don't see it. You don't really hear it unless you're out in a boat that is sizable. So I think that's for decades has been an issue with what happens to our oceans, whether it's oil rigs, seismic blasting, and that decision by the minister to protect Ramsar wetlands. And that wetland is listed under an international treaty because it is so important and so significant. And then meanwhile, in the projects we're talking about, we've got Commonwealth marine parks which are being subject to these seismic blasting and test drilling, which, you know, when you hear marine park, you think, hmm, maybe a little bit of protection. Not so much. So we've got the need for these marine parks to actually be protected as marine parks and to stop these oil and gas exploration projects just keeping on banging away out in our oceans. And if you want to be part of that banging on about our oceans process, the community objection phase finishes on the 23rd of February with the AMCS offering submission support. You can find more information and use the submission guide at marineconservation.org.au. That was Louise Morris, the Australian Marine Conservation Society oil and gas campaign manager, speaking with Annie McLaughlin on Solidarity Breakfast, which broadcasts on Saturdays on 3CR, 8.55am. Now, this next segment, I need to warn you, contains audio and graphic description of the death in custody of an Aboriginal man. 
This special broadcast is dedicated to TJ Hickey. 20 years on and still no justice. Marissa from the Doing Time show interviewed Cheryl, who represents the Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne, regarding the death in Redfern. There will also be a rally in Melbourne at the State Library from noon on the 17th of February. We'll go now to Cheryl and Marissa. Can you talk about the news release and tell listeners about the the upcoming speak out for TJ Hickey? Sure. Yep, well, our media release went out last week. Um, yes. You know, we sort of usually do one every year. Um, and we're intending to hold a speak out at the State Library in um, Swanson Street, just opposite Melbourne Central Station. Um, people would know it. So that's at midday on the 17th, Saturday the 17th of February, a couple of days after the Sydney action. That was planned that way in case some of us headed off to Sydney which, as it's turned out, I don't think we will be. But, um, yeah, and we're, we're, you know, we're holding that rally in support, well, of families. We're not only calling for, you know, 20 years, still no justice for TJ, and to mark his, well, 20 years on and still no justice. So it's remembering TJ, but it's also standing with all First Nations deaths in custody families, Um yeah, because we know for every one we hear about, there are probably 20 or 30 other cases we don't even ever hear about. The family just don't, you know, either don't want to get it out or, you know, they're sort of too under the pump to be able to get it out. So this is our chance. And, you know, at the rally we'll be demanding that, you know, there's a justice for TJ and all who've died in police and prison custody and we want to see an end to the practice of police investigating police um, and then in place of that to establish mechanism with real powers to control the police through making them accountable to the community and we want an immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody which it was they were only handed down oh just over three days three and a half decades ago, say. Hmm. So, you know, I would say they've had time. So, oh, they've had ample you know, time. Just, I mean, it's we, outrageous. It really it's outrageous. outrageous. Yep. And, in fact, um, didn't John Pat's death in custody spark the Royal Commission? It did, yes. I believe it did. And then there were others, you know, like Eddie Murray and, you know, a few of those other families that have been fighting long and hard, you know, since John Pat's. You know, John Pat was only, I think, 15 when he was um, killed by those five off-duty police officers who, yeah, never never spent a day, you know, behind bars. You know, meanwhile, we've got, what, 30% of the jail population, I think, is now First Nations people across the country. So it's pretty tragic. That, Very you know, tragic. It is. So let's, let's talk about a little bit of background then, Cheryl. So... February the 14th, 2004 is the 20th anniversary, isn't it? Well, 2024 is, yeah, yeah, of the 2004. Yeah, it is, it is. And um, that, that um, you know, that incident, that time when it happened in Redford, Waterloo, um, it, it must have been just absolutely horrific for the community. I just don't know how they got through it. And, um, you know, the, the government was all too happy, you know, Bob Carr, Labor Premier at the time, 
New South Wales Labor Premier at the time and all his lackeys, they were only too happy to hurry through the inquest. You know, there was apparently, this is what we've read in um, media since that time, that then Premier Bob Carr instructed the state coroner, John Abernethy, to bring the inquest on quickly, bury it, while Gail Hickey, that's TJ's mum, was pressured into accepting a government-appointed legal team that did absolutely nothing to find out the truth at that inquest. And the brief of evidence from the investigating police then allowed the state coroner to exclude both important witnesses and serious evidence as not being relevant to the inquiry. And, I mean, the list, I mean... It's gobsmacking. I mean, anyone that reads the things that were, you know, weren't looked at, you know, the actual cause of death wasn't explored. The first aid implications weren't pursued. Bioengineering aspects of the mechanism of injury not fully pursued. Bystander witness evidence, as I just said before, weren't fully pursued. Why wasn't all witness evidence heard? Why was the arrival of a police rescue van at the accident scene not investigated? Because I believe Hollingsworth ripped TJ off the fence prior to the appropriate people coming along, contrary to, you know, well-known first aid protocol. Um, the forensic scene, examination scene wasn't completed. And in, in fact, the evidence obtainable from the fence and pathway wasn't obtained and the area was steam cleaned with undue haste. Within days, all five police vehicles involved in that event had been steam cleaned, repairs made, and they'd been repainted, thereby destroying any possible vital evidence. Is that not... I would say that's, um, you know, isn't that interfering with... I mean, if that was Have you or me it? doing that, yep. I reckon we'd be up shit creek, nicely. Absolutely. So he was 17 years old. TJ was 17 years old. Yep. And he was chased yep. by two police paddy wagons through Redfern when yep. he was thrown from his push bike and yep. impaled on a fence. Yep. And TJ's Catapulted mother, Gail. Off that bike. Yep. Yeah. What was and that? it was no, you know, we keep hearing it's, it's accidental and it was mistaken no. identity. They thought they were looking for a bag snatcher and they thought TJ. Well, TJ didn't resemble in the slightest the build of the supposed um, bag snatcher that was later found out. But, of course, that was all pushed to one side. You know, any any excuse will do. We chased him. He'd been bashed, apparently, a couple of weeks prior by a Redfern yes. police officer. So this wasn't an incident. He was petrified. He was staying with his aunt. I think I might have told you before. Staying with his aunt, Bowie Hickey, the late... Virginia oh, Hickey. the beautiful Annie Bowie. I miss her. Yeah, yeah, I can still see her too. Yeah. I can hear her voice. And she, she she said he was too scared to come out. He was a smoker, you know, at 17, but he was a smoker, so was she. She'd be sitting on her little front porch in Douglas Street in Waterloo having a, a fag, and TJ, she'd say to him, do you want a cigarette? He was inside the house. Well, he'd say yes, but then he'd say, you've got to pass it to me. He wouldn't come out even onto that front porch. You know, he was so, so scared. He told her, they're going to kill me. You know, well, he was right. Really awful. Bowie's spoken of it, you know, publicly, and she's on record, you know, from some of the rallies, you know, that why he was killed, and it's because he wouldn't distribute their, their um, drugs around the block. You know, it suits them to keep a black community disempowered, under the thumb, 
you know, chasing each other, you know, or chasing drugs or whatever, you know, that's how they, that's how they get away with it. Horrible. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I think with Istra, I'm just having a look here at the news release and Alison Thorne, mm-hmm. Mr. Melb, says yes. that, that TJ's death highlights that there are inadequate mechanisms to hold police to acca- yes, accountable. Yes. And we demand an end to the practice a police investigating police, as you said, Cheryl, what's yeah. needed is the establishment of independent bodies with real yeah. powers to control the police and for these bodies to be directly accountable to the community, says Alison. Yep. Yep. And, and I mean, we, you know, for instance, you know, those four police in those two vans that you said, Redford 16 and Redford 17, apparently um, it became common knowledge or public knowledge that they sat and did their statements together post the incident... Now, and under the supervision of a superior, um, there was all kinds of things. You know, the um, there was one of the police Aboriginal community liaison officers who, I believe, offered to, and I've heard this, I'd say, firsthand, that he offered or requested permission to go down to the block where the community had gathered to... Um, calm, you know, in, a, in an attempt to calm them down, you know, after what had happened to TJ. Oh. And he possibly could have, to, you know, just um, comforted them and not come in with all guns blazing. But no, they refused him permission because they wanted this. They wanted a reaction from the community. Of course. Because that deflects on, you know, from them, from their actions, you know, what they'd done, that they'd killed this child. So, a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. Yeah. And... Gail, the family and their supporters are fighting hard, aren't oh, they, for a permanent yes. memorial to TJ that reflects yes. what actually happened. And I remember yes. when I interviewed Ray Jackson, when I was in Sydney during the trial of um, of the, oh, the other, the other, the other um, trial family. where the young girl, one, yes. of, one of the relatives, yep. Yep, the te- was arrested. The yep, All these people the were arrested on the 21st. Yep. And, the ple- and I remember interviewing Ray Jackson and... He gave us a very good quote. He said that TJ's, TJ's death will never be seen as an accident. That will never happen. No. And he's since no. passed away now. His anniversary is coming up soon, isn't it, Cheryl, in April? Yeah, it is. It is, I think. Yeah, yeah. I did look that up. Golly, it was back in 2015, I think. I couldn't believe it. Oh, I'm still grieving. I know, I know. He'll be, you know, he's been sadly missed across the, you know, the whole activist scene. I think he was sort of, yeah, he had a reach out. That's for sure. But, it, but he, I think he'd be happy that, you know, that's well, you know, in the face of the injustice, that people are continuing. I mean, they tried everything. The family, with um, the help of um, Tamar Hopkins and yes. and another bar- a barrister, Emrys Nekvarpel, took it took the case to the United Nations. Back in 2010, on the sixth anniversary of TJ's death in custody, but surprise, surprise, Australia wormed their way out of that. I mean, really. And oh, one thing I forgot to say was TJ's bike wasn't even presented at the coronial inquest. The damaged bike, but of course it couldn't be presented because it had been taken out of the Redford Police Station. It was seen to be taken out by another ACLO, Aboriginal Community Liaison Officer. And it was going to have its wheel changed. Apparently there was old footage that Uncle Ray had at one stage from, I think it was Channel 7, showing the bike as it was with the damaged 
you know, you know, you know Cheryl, that's that's a, a really a good example that you just mentioned about the bicycle. And just to develop that further, even yep. going back to that to the trial of of, of the hickeys, though yep. the hickeys have been harassed, haven't they? Ever oh, since, definitely. Yeah, ever definitely. since they talked about fighting hard for that permanent memorial for, for TJ. Yes. And yep. then you say in the news release, don't you, Cheryl, that the family was gifted a memorial plaque for display at the site where yep. TJ was impaled during the police yes. pursuit. But authorities yep. won't let the plaque go up unless the wording is changed to remove from, all reference yeah. to the police. From police, what sort of, from police what sort of rubbish is that? Mark, it was a result of a police pursuit. Well, they shouldn't have pursued him. Easy, simple. Don't do Correct. it. And then what do we do? We're, at the moment, I believe, I mean, I think the inquest is over. I think they're just waiting on the findings. But into another boy who had a similar, um, a little different, but a similar experience and lost his life as a death in custody, Jay Wright in um, Waterloo or in that Waterloo area, only a little bit away from where it happened to TJ. Just a couple of years ago that happened. So I believe there's um, an inquiry just completed, just wound up, I think, into his... Which death. one was that, Cheryl? Sorry? Jay Wright, J-A-I. I, oh, yes, I think yes. you might say Jay Wright. But, okay. Um, yeah, there was something on NITV News just recently about that one. So it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't end. No, it doesn't it does end. end. I think there's been over 500 deaths in five, custody yeah. now. We said 550, I think, over 550. 550 yeah. But now, I think it's over 558. Oh, my God. Or it's at least 558, which is over 550. But, you know, it's just going up. There. Yeah, you just hate to, you know, hate to use people as numbers, which is, that's awful. But at the same time... Look, look, this really is an excellent news release. Can you just tell listeners about where to find that release, please? The release? Yeah, it's on the ISTJA website, is that right? Yeah, it'll be on the ISTJA website, but it's also on the ISTJA Facebook page. Perfect. And and, and, and also, I might as well add to, at our um, speak out, I couldn't find the word then, <laughs> um, at our speak out on the 17th, we'll be taking along our tribute placards. We've got a number, I think there's about 18 now, of um, tribute placards to just a few of the people who've died in custody, the other oh, people who've died in custody, over the years. You know, they go back as John Pat, Eddie Murray, Eric Whittaker. Um, we've got Mark Mason, Arnie Tanya Day. We've got Veronica Nelson. Uh, not Veronica Nelson. We haven't got one for her. We've got Ms. Do. Um, you know, if families really want one, I mean, they can certainly come and see us and we should be able to support them in getting one made up. But at the moment, we take those along to our big rallies or any any rallies. Ours are small, usually. So um, Absolutely. take them along and, and people want to help holding them. Well, that's brilliant because there's not always 18 of us is just folks. Exactly. So families are there or people that know, you know, knew a person that we've got a placard for, they're more than welcome to come and just hang on to it and remember that person, you know, in whatever way they wish to. They might want to speak even. You know, there'll probably be an open mic at the conclusion, I'd imagine. At the, moment we've got, at the moment, we've got Kieran speaking, Kieran Ashton-Clark. Oh, good. Ashton-Clark? Yes, isn't it? Yes, I think he's been on the show. Yep, yep. Kieran's speaking on... Um, he's from the Black People's Union. And also, who is it? Someone from Valve. 
um, Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Good, okay. And we're hoping for a few more speakers, but whoever speaks or, you know, speak with a passion, I'm sure, about, you know, what involvement or what effect, because there's hardly an Aboriginal person, I don't think, in this country who hasn't been affected by the, you know, in their own family or extended family by a death in custody. It's just, it's tragic. Indeed. So is Jamel formed in the lead up to the first anniversary of, um, sorry. Yeah. How how did this Jamel form? What happened? Yeah, well, um, Uncle Ray Jackson, I think at the bequest of, um, or at the request of Arnie Gail Hickey, um, put a call out for um, people to become involved and have a National Day of Action. So he got in touch, I think, with Alison Thorne from... Who, who is with his now, and they knew each other from way back, the activist circle. And when we, um, I suppose, we went and spoke to community members down here, they said, yeah, sure, go ahead, do that. You know, we wanted to get their thoughts and their permission, I guess, to hold this rally. And But don't just do that and walk away. That They were, oh, they were so strong in that you know, expressing that to us because, unfortunately, they said it just goes on and on. They could see it. And at that stage, I wasn't across at all. I certainly wasn't. I've had a rude awakening since becoming involved in his just... Absolutely. It's, it's just, so important, you know, scared. Well, no month goes by without there's at least one death in custody. Now, that's... You know, we hear about road counts and all that, you know, when there's road accidents. Where's this? You know, make that a headline... You know, give us an update every week or something on those horrible numbers. They are really horrible numbers. And in fact, this show has a long-standing tradition of doing a lot of interviews about, not just about TJ Hickey, but about all deaths in custody. And in fact, Mm -hmm. over the years, we have done lots of interviews also with Istra in, in Sydney and have actually crossed over live to some of those marches over mm. there near the fence there. Yep. Well, I'll be having one on the 14th, on Wednesday the 14th, um, beginning at 10am, I believe. Perfect. And that'll be starting with family members be speaking there and then they'll march to Redfern Police Station, stopping at the police station with more speakers and then march to the community centre. And what they're saying is they're going to insist on a meeting with the Mayor of Sydney I'm not sure who that is now, um, yeah. but anyway, whoever she is or he is, Goodness. to protect the TJ Memorial from developers. So I would presume that means the plaque because there was an idea being floated that they would also like not only the plaque to be mounted with the correct, you know, the current wording, the appropriate yeah. wording, but also to have the um, Redfern Community Centre renamed to reflect or to remember TJ and also so families would feel like there's a place, families who've lost loved ones as death in custody, so they had somewhere to gravitate to, I guess, where they could feel comfortable and, um, yeah. A safe environment. A place of solace, I guess. Yep. No more whispering in our arms Gonna rise up to break these chains Stop these killing games 
Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne invites you to join us on Saturday the 17th of February at midday at the State Library, Swanson Street, Melbourne to mark the 20th anniversary of the death in custody of Redfern teenager TJ Hickey. Honour the memory of TJ and the many deaths in custody families that now number more than 555 since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. No one to date has been held responsible for these deaths. We demand end the practice of police investigating police and immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Come along Saturday 17th of February, midday at the State Library. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. In that interview, Marissa from the Doing Time show spoke with Cheryl from ISGA Melbourne. Cheryl quoted the words of warrior Ray Jackson, who has since passed away, but who was a staunch supporter of the Hickey family. He said, Redfern police continue to refuse to allow the installation of the commemorative plaque to be installed at the fence line where TJ was impaled as a result of his bicycle being rammed by a police vehicle. The police want to see this as an accident. That will never happen. Doing Time is broadcast on 3CR on Mondays at 4pm and next Wednesday we will be talking more on the anniversary of TJ Hickey's death. We're now going to go to a song, Black Boy, by Emily Wuramara. It's taken from her album Deadly Hearts, which was released in 2017. The album celebrates music, culture and identity with iconic songs reimagined by Australia's best young Indigenous artists. To learn about life and how his people lost their way He was very stubborn, he was just a child And now his life is mystified Black boy Oh 
be a man to live and love and understand. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. You'll be the one who's having fun, so you just keep on learning. Being joined by Kieran Stewart Asherton, the national president of the Black People's Union, who's going to talk to us about camp sovereignty. Thanks for joining us this morning, Kieran. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Now, can you tell us a bit about what camp sovereignty is, first of all? Yeah, no worries. So, um, it's a First Nations protest camp set up down in the King's Domain. Um, it's set up on the location of the original camp sovereignty, which was. Um, set up back in 2006 to protest the stolen wealth games. Um, we're down there now, though, with a set of demands for the local city council, which include the renaming of King's Domain to something more appropriate, as well as um, a section of that land being handed back to the local First Nations population. So they have a space where they can practice some cultural healing, um, do some cultural outreach, as well as a space where you know mob can come together to organise politically. So tell us a bit about what happened in 2006. So yeah, back in 2006, they had the um, Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and they were set up um, pretty much across the road from where Camp Sovereignty is. And they were, yes, just set up there to protest, um, you know, colonisation here in Australia, as well as to call for something called the Black GST. Mm -hmm. Um, GST was a... Black GST, sorry was a campaign that was ran back in 2005, 2006. Um, it stood for genocide, sovereignty and treaty. So, yeah, back in 2006, they were trying to draw attention from the world's international media um, to show what was happening here in Australia in regards to First Nations genocide and, you know, the way that our sovereignty is still being denied and the fact that there's no treaty here. And what happened to the camp last time round? Um, last time round, they lasted for about 60 days. Um, before it was eventually moved on and broken up by police um, at the end of the Commonwealth Games. But, um, yeah, we're hoping, you know, this time round 
we can last a lot longer than 60 days. And there's some promising um, conversations coming up with the local Melbourne City Council about you know our demands and hopefully, yeah, they can be addressed. Brilliant. Talking a bit more just for a little while about what happened in 2006, what response was there um, from the public, from the government last time around and from the international um, observers? Um, yeah, look, there was a bit of a mixed response. Um, at first, like I wasn't there, obviously. I was still very young back then. Um, but yeah, at first, I've heard a lot of the arms. At first, it was received pretty positively by the media. Yep. Um, there was a lot of media, especially international media, coming out to Camp Sovereignty. There was also a fair few um, like notable musicians and athletes and stuff like that that came through. They had a signing book, and I think something like 20,000 people end up coming through in that six days. So, you know, That's pretty brilliant. incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was received, you know, mixed sort of reception. Um, for the most part, it started off with a positive reception. But then towards the end, the media and the local council and police just, you know, wanted them out of there. So mm-hmm. they end up rolling through with the um, police and ripping down all the tents and, you know, using council water truck to put the fire out up there and, um, yeah, just really um, broke it up mm-hmm. after the 60 days. Yeah, I was quite surprised when I was looking at this yesterday to see that The Age was had an article which said there's nothing to fear about camp sovereignty, which doesn't strike me as consistent with the way that they might cover things today. Now, can you tell us what <laughs> what you got up to yesterday and what's planned today? Yeah, so we've been doing a whole bunch of stuff down at Camp Sovereignty. Um, yesterday we had some workshops throughout the day and then last night we'd done a film screening. Um, today we've got a few workshops. What did workshops. you show? Oh, yeah, it's Concerning Violence, it's called. It's a documentary on the decolonial struggles uh, that happened in Africa during the 1960s and 1970s. Um, Tonight we're filming, I think, Secret Country, Mm -hmm. which is a documentary about um, some First Nations politics and issues here in Australia. Um, But, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of stuff on throughout the week down there. We've got uh, movie screenings of the night. We're doing cultural practices every night down there, doing a bit of ceremony. Um, about eight eight thirty each night. We're also um, doing a whole bunch of different workshops, teaching about you know different political struggles, um, different cultural stuff as well, like weaving workshops and um, yeah, there's a whole bunch going on down there. Definitely encourage anyone to pop down, even if it's just for half an hour to see what's going on. Sounds amazing. So why was it set up again now? Um, so we set it back up again now for you know because we are at a very pivotal sort of time. Um, in not just here in Australia, but right across the world, like you know, we've got all these these atrocious genocides happening, you know, over in Palestine and throughout Africa, um, up in West Papua, and as well, of course, here. But yeah, it's just such a pivotal time in world history. We just wanted to you know try and push for it now, and also set up a bit of a cultural healing space, not just for our people, but for other people as well who are going through genocide and going through these struggles. So we've had quite a few people from the Palestinian and the West Papuan communities come down and do a bit of cultural healing with us overnight and you know, get a bit of that smoking ceremony. And Yeah, just trying to heal together, I suppose. I'm always amazed by the generosity of First Nations Australians. Um, can you tell me a bit about what's been happening in terms of the conversations with Council? Yeah, um, so <laughs> we've had a bit of a mixed response at first. Uh, at first, you know, they obviously weren't happy that we were up there with tents and had a fire going in the park and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, now we're at the point where we've actually got a meeting with the CEO, um, Alison Layton, tomorrow morning to actually address our demand. So, you know, it's good to see that they're coming to the table and they're actually willing to sit down with us and try and work with us. Um, so, you know, in that regard, hopefully it's positive, but we'll know more tomorrow after the meeting about whether or not there's any potential of that land being handed back to the local population or, you know, if they're going to try and move us on. Um, that being said, though, we do have a permit to have the sacred fire burning there for another 120 days. So, you know, we're going to be there for at least 120 days. That's fantastic. Um, what can people do? I mean, you've mentioned some of the activities that are going on, but what could people do to get involved or to support the camp? Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things people can do. Um, they can, you know, obviously come down, pop in, um, spend some time down there, especially, you know, if people are willing to come down and hang out overnight as well, um, because we are trying to man at 24-7. But, you know, while we might have up to 200 people or more throughout the day, um, quite often overnight there might only be half a dozen or so of us here. Um, but, yeah, we, you know, need supplies as well, like stuff like water, stuff like ice, um, you know, stuff, stuff like food, but we're pretty right for food. We've had a lot of support from the community, a lot of people volunteering to cook a lot of meals and stuff like that and drop them off. Um, but if people do want to find out more, they can uh, head to Instagram and head to either Old Country Calling, which is their Instagram page, mm-hmm. or to the Black People's Union's Instagram page, where we're putting out constant updates about you know what we're up to, what's on that day, um, any sort of supplies or resources we might need down there. There's also an option to donate as well. And for today's program, could you just run us through exactly what's going to be taking place there today? Uh, yeah, I can. I will just need to. I hear the sounds of somebody rummaging for a program to see what's happening. <laughs> All right, yeah, I got it up. So, oh, today's actually the art day. That's right. So, um, yeah, they're doing a whole bunch of art down there today. Stuff like screen printing on shirts, um, badge making, some banner painting. I think there's also um, a weaving workshop happening today. Um, then this afternoon, uh, Nuclear Free Australia are coming in to do a bit of a update on where they're up to with their organising and all their activities. And then later on tonight, after this ceremony, um, we've got a film screening on tonight, Still We Rise, as well as Speak of Country, two documentaries about First Nations struggle here in Australia. And what's on tomorrow? And then tomorrow we've got, um, throughout the day, we've got some more art stuff going on. Then we've got a conflict resolution training, actually, tomorrow afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, we've got some people coming in to, you know, just... And these sort of trainings, too, they're open to anyone in the public. Anyone can pop down and do them. So there's a conflict resolution training on. Um, then we've got some updates from some organisations that do a lot of direct action around anti-war and anti-weapons. Um, they're coming in around 6 o'clock-ish to give us a bit of an update of what they're up to, as well as to run a workshop. And then we've got a music night on tomorrow night. I love the way that you're building solidarity with other um, groups and organisations as well. I think that's really important and significant. Yeah, yeah, definitely is very important. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we all are in this one struggle together. And, you know, only by fighting and struggling together will we actually be able to liberate ourselves. Um, is there any sort of action plan for the weekend as well? Anything special over the weekend that's happening? Um, nothing that I'm aware of at this stage. 
um, there's a few of us that are organising stuff down here, though. Um, but, yeah, just stay, we haven't put anything out publicly about the weekend yet, but we probably will, if not today, definitely tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned to those social media posts. Great. And do you want to just go through the Instagram and any other places where they can get in touch with what's going on and perhaps the details of where they could donate? Yep, no worries. So um, Instagram and Facebook, um, the pages are the Black People's Union's page as well as a page called Old Country Calling. Um, Uncle Robbie is also putting out updates on his free CR program. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can donate by heading to the blackpeoplesunion.org website and donating there. Um, donations that come through we're putting towards Camp Sovereignty. Is there anything else you'd like to add this morning? Um, I just really want to encourage people to come down, especially come down overnight if you can for the um, smoking ceremony. It's a really amazing experience. Um, a lot of people that have been coming through have been saying that you know, they've found it really enriching, really healing and really grounding. Um, and whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous, come down anyways. You know, we're not just a space for mob, we're a space for everyone to come and experience our healing and culture. And can you talk a bit more about the smoking ceremony, what will be happening and who will be present? Yeah, so we do a smoking ceremony every night from about roughly around 8, 8.30 um, when it starts to get dark. Um, it's a traditional smoking ceremony, which in our culture is a, um, a very healing practice. We, you know, burn off um, a certain tree leaves. We release certain oils, which have both been found to, you know, in science actually be cleansing and healing. They are antiseptic and kills bacteria and stuff like that, ionizes the air and whatever else. But it's also very mentally and spiritually uh, healing and cleaning as well. Um, and a lot of people that, you know, go through this ceremony, they do say that, you know, they feel a lot different afterwards and, you know, they definitely feel a positive impact and stuff. And this is not just Indigenous people, not just people who are spiritual, but, you know, atheists and non-Indigenous people and whatever else as well. And what's the cultural significance of the smoking ceremony? Um, it's a ceremony that was practised for probably thousands of years. Um, it's a sort of ceremony that we would always do when we had different... Uh, mobs coming together to meet, um, as well as, you know, when we had stuff like sorry business um, and when we just needed to cleanse ourselves and heal ourselves. Yeah, I um, was reading something recently that was saying that it was a way of uh, introducing strangers to country because then you smell more like the land, and I thought that was a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. I think, is there anything else that you want to say either about the activities or about the movies that are happening or the trainings? Um, no, not really, yeah. Just definitely want to encourage people to come on down. Um, you know, come down, spend as much time as you can, just engage with what we're doing, um, have the arms with, you know, the uncles and aunties that are down there and just learn a bit more about our history and our culture. I think that would be, it's a fantastic opportunity um, for people to learn more and to get involved and give support. Thanks very much for joining us, Kieran. Um, and we really encourage listeners to head over to the area known as King's Domain. Um, we'll be planning to do an update from on the camp every day on 3CR Breakfast, and that will be broadcast at 8 o'clock. Today, um, from 11 o'clock till 2 p.m., there'll be an outside broadcast by Uncle Robbie Thorpe um, for the programme Bunjil's Fire. So that will be coming live from the so-called King's Domain. Um, Stay tuned in for regular updates. Three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kinder. 
Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families and are led by qualified teachers. Enroll for 2024. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Corey Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Creating space for women and gender diverse people to thrive, the Queen Victoria Women's Centre is now taking applications for their inaugural Feminist Historian in Residence. Over 12 months, revisit their historical records to uncover fresh stories and perspectives. The centre encourages proposals that challenge their history from an intersectional viewpoint and grapple with the complexities of colonisation. To apply, head to qvwc.org.au, closing Friday, February 16th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice. 8.30am Wednesday, 7am Saturday. Or listen on demand on 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Because the Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight, because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying, free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja nation, my people who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. So, after listening to all of that, if you want to get out and about and help with the various community things that are going on this week, today at 12 o'clock, there will be a convoy going off to Canberra from the Free Palestine Movement. It's leaving from 90 to 106 Barclay Square Car Park in Brunswick, and that leaves at noon today. So if you want to join the convoy for Canberra, head on over to Brunswick. Tomorrow, from the Free Palestine Movement, there will be the Trade Unions for Palestine, Unionists for Palestine meeting at 833 Burke Street in the Docklands at 6pm. And then on Friday, there will be two events. At 11 o'clock, there's the Disrupt the War Machine Rally at a weapons manufacturer. Um, that's at 43B Laraway Campbellfield. And at 1.15pm, there will be the Open Air Juma'a Prayer and Doha for Palestine at Flagstaff Gardens. Um, as mentioned just now... Um, by Kieran. There are things going on all day, every day at Camp Sovereignty. So far for today, today is an art day. So as um, Kieran mentioned in the segment just now, there will be weaving and t-shirt printing and badge making and all sorts of things happening from noon today. That's in what's called King's Domain. 
Um, at 6 p.m. there will be an update from Nuclear Free. Um, and then at 8 p.m. there will be a film screening of Still We Rise. Every day at the camp, dinner will be served at 7 o'clock and there'll be a smoking ceremony at 8.30 p.m. Um, again, if you can stay overnight, please go and stay overnight so that there's a continual presence at the camp. Um, tomorrow on Thursday at 4 p.m., there'll be facilitation training at the camp. At 6 p.m., there will be a Disrupt Wars, talking about militarization and an old country calling update. Then at 9 o'clock, there's going to be an Irish session. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to entail, but it sounds intriguing. Again, dinner at 7 and the smoking ceremony at 8.30. That's all that's available on what's happening at Camp Sovereignty now. You can follow Black People's Union or old.country.calling on Instagram for more information and to see updates. At the moment, there is also ongoing the coronial inquest into the death of Joshua Kerr. Um, It started on Monday and it will end on Friday, the 23rd of February, between 10 a.m. and and 4 p.m. at the Coroner's Court of Victoria. Every day at nine o'clock in the morning, there will be a smoking ceremony. So if you can lend your support to the family and supporters of Joshua Kerr, please head down to the coroner's court every um, weekday between 10 o'clock and 4 p.m. Um, again, that's at the coroner's court of Victoria. Um, as we've also mentioned through the show today, there will be the rally in um, Geelong to, for healthcare workers and their supporters to demand an end to the genocide in Gaza. Um, you can find out more um, about that by visiting apanapan.org.au and looking at the events page there. Um, I think that's it for community service announcements for today. It's been a full-packed show, which I've been doing all by myself, so I think I deserve a round of applause. Thank you all very much. Um, what we've had, oh, what we've had so far today is we had we talked with um, Noor and Jackie from Free Palestine Geelong, who were talking about the rally for healthcare workers. We had Louise from the Marine Conservation Society talking about blasting in the size, uh, seismic blasting in the Otway Basin. We spoke. Uh, we had a segment from Doing Time with where Marissa spoke to Cheryl about the death in custody of T.J. Hickey, and lastly we spoke with Kieran Stewart Ashton about um, the Camp Sovereignty. Again, tune in today between 11 and 2 to hear the outside broadcast from that. Thank you very much for joining us this morning and I hope you have a great day. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.